This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with probably my most sort of international guest. Definitely my first podcast I've recorded with somebody sitting in the south of France, but you're actually Dutch. Welcome, Marietta. I'm I'm not the only Dutch living in France, uh, and there's quite a few British as well, uh, and the odd American too, even in this village. But um, yeah, it's, it's quite unusual, I do admit, yeah. What a nice thing. I hear that the south of France, I've, I've been to Paris, but I've not been other than Paris. Okay. And I hear it's just like phenomenal. Yeah, that's even seven hours from here. So it's quite a, a hike. Yeah. Nice. That's great. Well, why don't you, um, I'm, I'm fascinated to hear your story. So why don't you kind of take me back to sort of the very beginning yes. for you, where, where it all started? Yeah, with pleasure. Well, um, when I um, had my first glass, I, I, I think I wrote it was my first glass of wine when I was about 10 or 11. I was born in the 60s. I'm 58 now. And uh, it was just in the period that um, in, in Holland, things got a little bit easier. Uh, there were less boundaries. My parents tried to be very modern and, and tolerant. So they allowed us with Christmas or with the party to have the old glass of wine. But before that, I have an old, I had an aunt who uh, was a bit um, uh, cheeky <laughs> and she gave us uh, a, a stuff called, in Dutch it called advocaat, but it's a sort of egg punch. And I think I was even smaller than 10 years old when I got, when I tasted alcohol for the first time. And it made me giggle. I found it very interesting to join the adults of course and and I'm, I was very shy as a girl and very uh, insecure and I felt that when I had a few glasses of wine or one glass even it made me giggle and I could make people laugh and I all of a sudden I wasn't shy anymore so that was uh, that was my first experience with uh, alcohol and um, yeah it's more, more than anything else it made me giggle and laugh um, but then of course, uh, I just went to school and I had to uh, do my own work, so there was no alcohol involved in that at all. But when I was 15, uh, in, I had a boyfriend who drank a lot of beer. I, we were living in an area in Holland where everybody drank beer. So I jo- he was a bit older than me, uh, and I joined him and the other boys, and I, I drank beer until, well, I got very sick. So I, I, more than once, I got home during a weekend uh, trying to hide my drunkenness from my parents and I was very sick I was in bed everything started to turn and um, I I threw up more than once and now I think thank god for that because if I hadn't thrown up I would have had maybe severe alcohol poisoning so my body protected me from all the beer anyway um, I remember one time when I was too drunk to reach the loo and I threw up in the wash basin and I was too drunk to clear it up. And my mom, the next morning, was very, very cross with me. She was really mad, but not be- because I was drunk, but because I'd thrown up. And I can't re- really remember anybody talking to me about my drinking, but they talked about, yeah, being, you know, uh, throwing up, not clearing up. Yes. 
Well, that um, I think looking back, I didn't realize that maybe the drinking in the weekend affected my school prestation, uh, my school um, uh, uh, success. But I'm, I'm not sure about that. But I think it has. It must have had. Because you, you get tired, you don't feel well. And, and I was very insecure still. But I, I think drinking helped to ease my shyness. That, that is really the, the reason why I, I was constantly drinking, or, or constantly in the weekend. Uh, and I couldn't not. Sometimes I said to myself, okay, tonight I'm just going to have a Coke or uh, just fruit juice. But I never did. I, I always you know, ended up drinking with the boys. Anyway, when I went to, well, university, uh, you call it college, I think. I was uh, 18 and I uh, met a guy who drank a lot and I fell in love with him. And although he had a drinking problem, I thought I could make him happy uh, and make him not drink so much uh, by just making him happy. But of course that didn't work. And uh, the only thing that was the result of that, it was, I started to drink a lot with him. And um, finally, we, uh, we stayed together for quite a while and we had children together. And the thing is, although we, before I got pregnant, we drank almost every night and in, in large quantities and he could drink until he dropped. And that caused problems between us, of course. But when I got pregnant, there was no problem at all in stopping uh, drinking or when I was breastfeeding, it was, uh, it was easy because you know what you're doing it for. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that was, that was uh, yeah, not, not a problem at all. Um, Finally, the marriage didn't work uh, and we split up after 14 years and uh, I was alone with my boys who were small then. And I sort of woke up uh, from a, what I now see as a very toxic, toxic narcissistic relationship. And I, when I was alone and the boys were in bed, I was so... Um, panicky. I, I panicked from the, I think it was post-traumatic stress disorder from this narcissistic relationship and I was so, I had flashbacks and I didn't know how to handle it. Nobody, nobody spoke in those days, it was in the, uh, in the 90s, nobody spoke about narcissistic abuse. It wasn't known then as it is now. Um, but then, you know, there was a wine and when I was alone at night, um, I drank to, to ease the, um, the flashbacks and to ease my panic and uh, it, it well of course it helped because you get so numb you don't feel anything anymore um, uh, but it, at the same time I was a teacher then and it was very hard because I came to school with a hangover and then you know taking care of quite difficult classrooms with a hangover and a headache and, and not feeling well that was very hard anyway I then after some time I met a man who hardly drank and that's my actual the husband I'm still with and that's now 23 years ago um, and um, I found that very attractive about him because he was always himself he never he ne was never different he, I'd never seen him drunk actually still never have seen him drunk um, 
and uh, we got together and I was quite happy and he was so stable that I um, could, uh, how do you say that, I, I could handle my memories and my flashbacks better than, um, well, when, when I was with him. Uh, but still, I, I was still quite insecure and it was me, in fact, who brought the alcohol into our couple. So we ended up you know, sharing a bottle uh, almost every night and sometimes more. And um, I even was so eager in have, getting enough wine that when he went to the toilet, I made sure that I topped up my glass to make sure that I got more than my share of the bottle. And I can say that now, but I was, I was really ashamed. But I know people do that, people who... Yeah, I, yeah, I've done stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 right. It's embarrassing, but I can talk about it now, and I can see how it's not. You know, I I, I can see now that it was not my fault. It um, it, the wine got me anyway. Um, I then um, I I got in a very stressful situation with my ex-husband, and um. I, I realized that I had really had to be sober for my children. So um, I started to take alcohol breaks and I went to AA. I was living in Holland then and I went to an AA meeting. But it was still in the time that people were allowed to smoke inside in, in public areas. And it, I thought it was horrible um, because people were not drinking, but they were smoking like hell. And I just didn't feel at ease. And also, um, when I came, it was, a, it was a meeting where they did step number one uh, of the 12 steps and everybody told their story about uh, being um, powerless um, regarding alcohol and, and having lost all control and so on and so forth. And I just thought, for me, that's not the case. I haven't lost all control. I just use alcohol to dim my um, uh, my shyness or to to ease my my demons. But I never had cravings during working hours. I never had shakes uh, at the um, the time that you usually have your first drink. And you know, I I, I never have ever had a blackout even. Uh, so I thought I, it's not I'm not that bad. But that at the same time, that's a trigger. Because when you think, oh, okay, I'm not that bad. I'm not an alcoholic like they are. So after a, a, an alcohol break of three, four months, I, I forgot why I'd stopped. And then I started again thinking, okay, I can take one glass or, or two. But within three weeks, um, I found myself drinking at the same level that I did before I stopped. Um, but that's now more than 10 years ago. I don't know exactly the, the, the periods, but um, I, I started to talk about it with people around me, with, with friends and family saying, I always said it in a sort of ironic way. Okay, I'm not drinking for a few weeks or a few months. I'm sending my liver on holiday. And then people sa said to me, oh, okay. Are you sending your liver on holiday? Uh, that means you're not drinking. Maybe I should do that too. So I discovered that there were lots of friends around me that, um, or colleagues even, that had the same, well, not the same problem, but had a sort of not very easy relationship with alcohol. 
and and started to think about it but then you know after three four months starting again and so on and so and it went on well for more than 10 years i've been taking breaks but starting again and i wasn't very happy with it until last christmas um my mother and my brother came to stay from holland and they came to france and i thought uh, my brother has had a huge drinking problem and he stopped he's been not drinking for two years now and um I said to myself, okay, I'm going to really support him. I'm not drinking alcohol during Christmas. I don't want him to feel uncomfortable. So I stopped again, end of December, just before Christmas, a few days before. And um, I wanted to make sure that I would not start again after two or three months. I wanted to keep it up. So I uh, started to search the web and YouTube and I, I found your website i found your youtube channel and uh, all different ways of looking at alcohol now and it's much more helpful and that that helped me making the final decision okay that's it i'm not going to drink anymore but then you know living in france I, we're living in the middle of a wine area and it's beautiful i must say it's really rolling hills full of vineyards and and in the autumn when everything is red and yellow and it's it's beautiful but it's i think at the same time it's it's very strange and the other day i uh, went to visit my um my doctor uh, just for a few things and i told her that i'd stopped drinking uh, and on my way to the doctor's office i had to cross uh, all the wine areas all the wine vineyards and i said to her it's it's really strange because wine is so accepted here. It's not very long ago that even in hospitals at lunch, people, people got a little bottle of wine with their lunch in a hospital. In a hospital, it's, it's very strange. Anyway, she agreed with me that it's not um, very reasonable to, uh, to do as if wine is beneficial and to do as if it's good for you and and at the same time people who have problems with it and get addicted are stigmatized um it's anyway i um i'm very happy that i stopped and i'm i, I just tell everybody i'm i scream it off the rooftops almost <laughs> uh, that i don't want it anymore i don't need it in my life anymore and it's not always easy um especially in the beginning and um, what I read about uh, you know the, the pause uh, syndrome I've been quite uh, well not depressed but bad, bad tempered and very itchy and uh, my husband has suffered a little bit from my itchiness <laughs> uh, but he um, he's very supportive and he accepted it all I explained to him why it was and what I see now, it's it's getting uh, well. It's getting contagious. Um, a friend of mine just stopped drinking. Um, his girlfriend uh, has really made the decision to to diminish to to drink less and and so on and so forth. So I think it's a. I'm I'm really happy and proud with my decision. That's so awesome. So how how are people reacting to it? Well, one friend of mine said to me, are you not drinking? Even when, you know, we went to a restaurant with a group of people, are you not drinking? Well, what a shame. 
And I said, well, no, it's not a shame because I will be the one that remembers everything that we've eaten and I will be able to taste more. So, oh, and he said, well, but you, you'll be drinking again one day. I'm sure you'll be drinking again. And I said, well, no, I, I'm sure I won't. Well, never say never, of course. Um, but when it gets very, um, you know, when they put the pressure on me, I am a bit bitchy and I say, well, what's your problem? That is to you, it's so important if I drink or not. What, what is your right. problem? Uh, and, I, and that stops it usually, but it's not very kind, uh, but you don't always have to be kind. Yeah, and I think it is, uh, I mean, I find my experience with like the Dutch culture and the French cultures are very direct. Yes. So everybody just says what they, they feel and then nobody has hard feelings and it's all fine afterwards. So it's, it's just kind of like this thing yeah. where it's, it's sort of okay. So it's not as if you're, um, I feel like it's almost a benefit in a lot of ways because I think yeah. in some instances and especially certain parts of the U.S., people feel very upset about like, oh my gosh, did I offend? Did I make them feel like, and so we almost we don't stand up for what we believe is right for us. And then we get ourselves, you know, it's, it's this idea of, of really people pleasing. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, which, the Dutch are more direct, I think, than the French. Um, but there's a lot of English French, friends, friends, sorry, a lot of English friends around here as well. Uh, they are quite direct, but also very polite. Um, uh, and they are afraid of offending, but, you know, somebody said to me, well, um, when I don't drink, I, I, I fall silent when it's a nice, cozy evening with friends and I, I'm not as entertaining as I want to be. And I said, well, neither am I. Not all, sometimes, yes, but not always. But it doesn't matter. Your health is more important than being entertaining, always. And sometimes it's nice to be the one entertained. Like I, I kind of like that too. I was always, when I was drinking, I was always the one talking, always, yeah. you know, yeah. couldn't stop talking. And yes. then sometimes it's nice to just be like, oh, other people have things to say and they're interesting. Like you don't, you don't really learn anything when you're the only one talking, you know? No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Well, and there's another thing. Um, sometimes an evening is just not, such a nice evening and right. you know when you were still drinking you know you had a few glasses of wine and you got through it all right sort of although you had a hangover the next day and now if the evening is not a nice evening it just isn't and if I can I go home <laughs> quite early uh, and I don't I don't stay on because because of uh, yeah and but you 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 can't always leave uh, and then you know as they say here, it's, uh, it's like that. It doesn't matter. You don't always have to be the one uh, that, um, yeah, that's talking or that's entertaining. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. to, to just kind of go with how you authentically feel instead of sort of putting yourself into, pushing yourself into something that you can only feel when you're drinking, you know? Yes. Because how, you, yeah, yeah. It's exactly. interesting, that idea of yes. like, alcohol makes you more you, it makes you more honest and, and stuff. And I'm like, it makes, you know, all of us have so much duality inside of us. And it's probably even more than duality. It's probably many multiple aspects of our, and facets of our personality. And yeah. there, 
they're not always the best, you know? And that's why we, unlike the animals, have this part of our brain, like the prefrontal cortex, to really manage our own brain. And yes. so what alcohol does is it brings out the part of your brain that is the very animalistic um, yes. instant gratification, all the things that we try to really manage to make ourselves like more actualized and fulfilled in life. You know, we try to manage those parts of our brain that are just pleasure seeking or pain avoiding or, um, you know, wanting like those very animalistic things. Yeah. And then you don't drink. And, and it's just that that part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, the human part of your brain is shut down. And, and that animal part of your brain, that's, that's the released inhibitions. Like you just, all that stuff comes to the surface. Yeah. And you know, getting lost in that, it's almost the opposite of what we're, we're trying to do with all the other stuff we're doing, like diet, nutrition, and, you know, exercise and all these things going outside, trying to, you know, uh, meditation, anything that we're doing to really try to grow and become a more sort of aware and awake person. Like yeah. alcohol is doing the exact opposite thing. It's saying all that stuff that's great with the human part of the brain, like, let's just yes. turn all that off. And I understand, you know, that we're like, oh, I want to turn it off. It seems like a lot of work, but, but the way to really feel at peace is like actually through all that, through that yeah. work, through the, yes. the stuff. So it's really interesting. Exactly. Yes. Well, that's one thing that I sometimes struggle with a little bit. I made so many stupid mistakes under the influence of alcohol. And I, I, maybe I, I heard people, um, I did things that I would never do when sober. And well, that's sometimes I, I, you know, have, have trouble um, with those memories, those, because the memories are there. And I, I remember every second, but you know, that was another me that was a drunk me that did things. And um, uh, I, I just don't agree with her anymore. Um, I, I, I think that that is difficult. And, you know, um, the only thing that you can do is live now and live, uh, do the things that you want to do and and not numb yourself and not do anything that you're not you know that, that you don't want to um, but I did those things I did things when I was drunk uh, that I found find now very embarrassing um, and that's you know that's something that I think everybody who stopped drinking like us has to live with those memories now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I heard it said, um, there's a comedian over here, his name is Pete Holmes. And he's, he's actually quite famous. He has his own HBO TV show. And he actually stopped drinking years ago with this naked mind. And he talks about it a lot on his podcast. And I actually got an opportunity to go see him um, at a comedy club recently. And one of the things that he was saying, he's like, we as humans, we do things that we don't like. Then we try to push it away and run away from it when that yeah. never escapes it. It's like trying to take a huge beach ball and push it under the waves of the ocean. It takes effort. Yeah. We have to effort to, to make it go away. But if we just take those things and we say, okay, come here, walk alongside me. I'm going to own this. The pain of them fades. Like once, once we yeah. own it and come out with it, it really becomes... Uh, so much less of a 
the interesting. It's so counterintuitive to what you think because you want to run away from that discomfort. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, it's like a book you want to close and never see it again. But it's that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And the more people you tell, you know, to whatever level you're comfortable with being vulnerable. Like, I love how Brown she says something like, uh, "Vulnerability, shame cannot survive vulnerability." So those feelings of shame and embarrassment and self-loathing and all that stuff, like they can't survive conversations like this. Like we will feel better after this because we've said all these things out loud because we've admitted to the fact that when people were in the restroom, we pour extra, extra wine and top up our glasses. And um, I mean, even things like I would, uh, if everybody was like done and we're leaving the restaurant, I was like, are you going to finish that one? I'll just, I'll just drink that one. Yes, exactly. Like that one. And, or being so impatient for other people to catch up, like, okay, uh, why is everybody drinking so slowly? And then just finally not caring and just being like, fine, I'm going to be the one to order the next one because that, that's not Excellent. fun. And it's like, yes. as it got more and more of a hold, um, but all those things are hard to admit. And there's so many more yeah. that I'm not even thinking of that are hard to admit. Yeah, they, exactly. Yeah. Yes, I remember, you know, um, sitting on a terrace with a glass of white wine with friends. And then I felt like, you know, throwing that glass in my throat all at once, but I couldn't because everybody was drinking so slow. So you're very conscious of your thirst, really. And um, uh, everybody is, is drinking slower than you do. And, and, you know, finally, after two glasses, you don't care anymore. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it, and it, I think it's quite liberating. If I have a glass of water now, um, I can just... If when I'm thirsty and I drink a glass of water, I can drink two without feeling embarrassed. <laughs> and I just ordered two glasses of water yeah. at the terrace. I don't mind. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, I drink so many liquids now. It's crazy. Like I always yeah. like to have something. And, you know, I've got got my water, you know, I've got yes. my tea, like got the um I don't know, just all day I'll have something to sip on. And I find it really pleasurable and enjoyable. Um, yes. to just have something to sip on. I think it's, it's very nice to just have that kind of stuff, but yeah, I'm never, never embarrassed about like, Oh man, I really drank so many sparkling waters last night. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, the thing is here in France, sometimes the only thing there is, if you're not drinking wine is water. So that's sometimes a bit boring. So, well, a friend of mine who, takes alcohol breaks like I did, uh, always gets, uh, make sure that she has her own bottle of water and I, I bring my own bottle of something, not to drink flat water all evening because if an evening is boring and you're also only drinking flat water, it gets even more boring. And well, anyway, it will. Yeah, well, every- do you have, can you find kombucha? Yeah, 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 I do, that's, yeah, yes. That's yeah. nice. I'm, that's one of the projects I'm going to do. I'm going to make my own, but I need to, oh, uh, that's cool. a SCOBY, isn't it? I need yep. to order one soon, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah, Scott. You can, you can find it here, yes. Scott yeah. Pinyard on my team, he like got really into that, to making his own kombucha and stuff, and he really enjoyed okay. that in the early days. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's really yeah. fun, and my sister-in-law does it too. Yes, well, it's funny, you, you discover all kinds of, nice beverages that I never knew existed. Kombucha is one of them. Yes, it's very nice. Well, there's like, I remember being in Paris actually, and there was like some, is it elderflower cordial or something? Like yes, it was, yes, yes. It was I have very actually, nice. It is very nice, but it's very sweet. Yes, yeah. very sugary. Yeah. 
yeah it is yeah that that is that is a, a, a something that i need to be careful about because especially in the beginning when i just stopped drinking and at the moment you know that the, the the hour that i used to uh take my first glass of wine like six or seven o'clock in the evening um i had this craving for something i needed to have something so i i i had a lot of sweet stuff but then um I don't want that to, it's the same, no, it's not the same effect, but you know, it's also very addictive sugar and it's not very good for you. So I try to replace that now with nuts or, or fruit, but it's still something that, um, I don't know, it's, it, it doesn't really replace it, but there's something you have, you need to have a little pick me up or something at the end of the evening. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, I ordered, I basically like just gave myself permission for a long time that since I wasn't drinking, then they bring the dessert menu and everybody, I always was a person like, no, no, my dessert's been in my glass all night. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm not going to have dessert. Yeah. But then after I stopped drinking, I was like, yeah, I want the dessert menu. I'm going to sit yes. here and yeah. have this dessert yeah. and nobody else is ordering fine, but I'm like going to enjoy this. And yes. um, that that's lessened, but I actually did look into kind of the science behind that. And your brain gets really used to the artificially high levels of dopamine that alcohol yeah. releases. And, yes. um, and processed sugar releases artificially high levels of dopamine also. So your brain yeah. says, oh, that's the, you know, all yeah. the addictive drugs do, but your brain yeah. says, oh, sugar, that's, that's the easy one. And that's like, yeah. the, nobody's going to judge me for having dessert. Well, hopefully not, you know, and then... Yes. Um, it's just very different. So your brain can really do that. But I think then over time, like you get, it is less, like you're not, you'll make yourself sick. If you, if I drank as many sodas or Shirley Temple, <laughs> which is what I did, or yes. ate as much dessert calories yeah. as I was drinking wine, I would make myself yeah. feel ill yeah. really quickly. And so over time, your brain very gradually has much of less of a need for for dopamine from artificial sources and the beauty yeah. of that like the beauty of that when that starts to happen and um i'd say last february so february of 2018 i really started to cut sugar out of out of my life and and by no means am i like uh you know like sugar free or whatever and i don't think i'd ever would be but the amount of sugar i eat now today easily versus the amount of sugar I was eating, AKA ordering dessert every night, having gummy bears in my pocket, <laughs> stuff like oh, that yeah. um, is, is night and day. I mean, it's, it's night and day. And yes. what happens over time when you do that is that your brain stops needing that artificial dopamine and it yeah. starts getting satisfied with dopamine from non-artificial sources. So yes. even going outside and setting the sun, which also like, you know, is a very feel good thing or, yes. um, you know, catching a ball, whatever, all these yeah. things that like you start, your brain can find satisfaction in those, those smaller moments of joy. And it's almost so much more pleasant because those things have no negative consequence. I really like, um, I heard this recently yeah. on a podcast by Brooke Castillo and she said basically this idea of net pleasure instead of pleasure. So like if you have 20 or 30 minutes of pleasure from a glass of wine and you've got that yeah. buzz or whatever, but then you have all the negative that happens after that of feeling anxious, feeling uncomfortable as the alcohol is leaving your system. And then you have yeah. the regret because you didn't want to have that glass of wine. Like what is your net pleasure? Because you have a little yeah. of the here and then you have all this negative. So actually you, you're in a net negative pleasure 
yeah. that decision got you net negative pleasure. And if exactly. you can start to recognize the decisions in your life that get you net negative pleasure, yes. and then use, again, that prefrontal cortex, which you're growing every day that you're not drinking because alcohol damages it in the moment and damages it long term, that prefrontal yeah. cortex can help you to make decisions that actually start to bring you net positive pleasure on a much more yes. regular basis. And then your whole life up levels. So there's yeah. also, like, I, I know I feel out. better not drinking, but now understanding the science and the thought patterns and the brain, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. It all, it all yes. is very scientific. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that talk about net pleasure. That's something that I'm in an evening. There's this little thought in my head that says, Oh, come on. You can just get, you know, just have one glass. And then I, I, I say to myself, no, I'm not going to do that because tomorrow I will be very happy not to have done it, not to have, and because everybody will have a hangover except me and uh, I will be fine in the morning and I will be very happy that I made this decision now. And that is, that gets easier and easier. This little voice is, is weaker and weaker, but sometimes, you know, you can't ignore it and you just, um, yeah, I, 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 that's what you taught me. I learned from you that you can also just observe it, observe what happens when you have this sort of, well, it's not really a craving, but this little voice that says, ah, oh, come on. Um, and then what, what I, what I get then is that I started to start to have saliva when I think of, well, maybe there's a possibility of drinking one glass of wine. And I started to, you know, my mouth started watering. And that's something that I just, you know, notice and I notice it and I, I'm aware of it and I just go do something else. And I know that that happens when I have this little craving. Yeah. But so, it, you're right. There's so many things that you can do to, to, to boost your dopamine levels. And uh, after this meeting, I'm going to my yoga session. <laughs> very nice. Yeah, <laughs> it is very nice. Yeah. That's yeah. great. And There's that another always... thing um, you're reminding me of this, and I haven't I haven't tried this yet, but this is something. Again, Brooke Castillo from the Life Coach School. She um, got turned on to her, and I'm really enjoying all of her work. But this is basically she calls this like her. This is the urge jar, and I'll just the idea. It's so similar to what I talk about with allowing an urge, like allowing it to be there and observing it and feeling it. Is basically you have this empty, and then you have these these glass beads and you could obviously do this with anything, but then throughout yeah. the day, like every time you do that, every time you allow an urge and don't act on it, you put a glass bead in the jar and you allow this to fill up. And even if you're out and about, you take some in your left pocket and put them in your right pocket and just dump yeah. them back in here. And there's something very satisfying about like seeing this grow. And her theory is um, that if you allow a hundred urges, you will just get so good at allowing urges. Not that over you like they did and so if you can just say okay i'm going to allow all hundred of these urges and i'm not going to act on them that's very important you just have to observe them and allow them and let them be there without freaking out saying this is okay this is just a feeling how does this feel in my body my mouth yeah. salivates that's in mm -hmm. yeah trying to allow an urge for pizza last night because I was eating my salad and my kids were eating the pizza and I'm not really supposed to eat the gluten. And I was like, okay, how does this feel in my stomach? Like how did, you know, how it was really interesting and just, you know, trying to do that for all sorts of things. And basically you can really 
tame your urges, not that they'll ever go away, but just by continuing. And I, I love this that she, she um, did with just this visual. I think that's yeah, so exactly. cool. You know, when you have something tangible, that is, yeah, it's, it's very cool. Yeah. And then just knowing that at the end, I mean, I don't even know that it would take a hundred. I mean, I feel like you just have to do this a few times, but even just knowing that at the end of a hundred urges, your brain would work differently, right? Like okay. your ability yeah. to allow urges would just work so differently. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I must say that my, it's now six months almost and my urges have almost gone well sometimes they are there but they've almost gone and what also helps is um i have a little dog and i stroke it and, and that, that boosts my dopamine levels and his as well <laughs> uh, but um it, it helps very much to you know to have have a cuddle or something like that i'm much more cuddly now than i was um which is fine for everybody i think <laughs> yes that's so nice and yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, my urges, I, they do, they disappear completely. I really believe that. I think that might not be as true. Like she, she teaches stop over drinking, but she also teaches stop over eating. I think it might be very different. Like I still have urges for, for food and sugar. I think it's very, because we have to eat, like we don't have to drink alcohol. We can just say no, exactly. and then live our yeah. life that way. And so we really get into a point, but like eating does feel a bit more complicated, but with alcohol, yeah, they just go away. Like you just yes. do it long That's enough true. and they just absolutely go away. It's such a, it's yeah. such a point of freedom. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Take some patience yeah, to get there sometimes, but it's just awesome. It's so worthwhile. Yes. So Marietta, tell me, um, I always ask this, but tell me what you would, what you would tell yourself, what would you tell Marietta of, you know, especially the one who was struggling so much, trying to go to AA, trying to take breaks, trying to do all the things and feeling like it wasn't working. Like, what would you tell yourself about how things have turned out and what life is like now? Um, I, life is much more real for me. I feel more me. And um, well, sometimes I can be a bit boring because I'm not, I'm not a very outgoing person. I'm not very uh, extrovert, um, but um, I feel much more authentic, and that is that's great. And what I, what also um, changed is that I'm much more assertive, because um, I just feel so much more conscious about everything that I do. And of course, I make mistakes, and I you know I make stupid remarks like everybody, but much. Well, I do them. I do them consciously, or more or less, uh, not under the influence of um, a substance, and that um, that has changed. Um, uh, the fact that I just don't need alcohol anymore, and that it doesn't spoil my my mornings anymore, and um, I I am much more. Um, uh, when I want to do something, I fi uh, finish something that I don't like, for instance, my, um, uh, my accounts or uh, uh, other things from work that I don't really like. We, uh, we run a company together, my husband and I. Sometimes you have these little tasks that you keep postponing. And when I was under the influence of drinking every night, my postponing behavior was, um, I was always procrastinating and I'm not doing that anymore. I just get on with it. And uh, I don't know what if that's the being sober, I think it has to do with my, my prefrontal cortex. I just do the things that I need to do, just, you know, get it over with and be very happy about it when it's done. Um, and I think also you, 
one of the things that is so tragic to me about the where we get stuck when we're trying to stop to do something and we can't stop doing it is that um, we stop trusting ourselves to do the things we say we're going to do. Yes. And now you're like, I trust myself not to drink. That was the hardest. So of course I trust myself to get this task done at work. Of course I trust myself to keep this appointment. I, of course I trust myself to get off the couch and go to yoga in 15 minutes. Like, of course, you know, and it yes. just feels so good to get that back. Yes. Yeah. To get your trust in yourself back. Yeah. It's really confidence is, is really also that you can trust yourself again. Yeah. That is something. Uh, the other thing is, um, well, sometimes my husband and I have a little discussion about the, uh, the the domestic tasks. You know, who is passing the hoover and who is doing the washing and so on. And he's he's a bit messy, and I'm not. I'm very tidy. So that sometimes causes conflicts. And I was when I was not really uh, clear-headed, I just you know I cleared up his mess and I I was very naggy about it and so on. And now I just can ask him. Well would you mind you know clearing that up for me because i feel stressed when there's a mess in the house and it's easier to to um express my my needs uh and it, and i i think also that is um uh that's just a stupid example uh, but that's also to do with um trusting yourself that you don't say things that are not true it's true i need something and I have the right to express myself, whether he does it or not. That's his decision, of course. But I can, you know, just say what I what I want. You can say it, and then you can decide to be happy whether he does it or not. So, but you've exactly. done your part, yes. right? And that's yeah, so yeah. cool. That's yeah, just that's ask really the example. That's everything. Yeah, yeah, and it's just a stupid example because it's not such a big deal whether there's a pair of socks lying around. But but still, it's it has all has to do with. Um, yeah, with trusting yourself and being able to express your, your needs and, and ask what you want to ask. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, that's so awesome. That's great. Yes. I love that what you said at the beginning. You said, I feel, I feel more me. Yeah. That's so true. It's like you get to know yourself again. And you're like, oh, I'm not scary. Yes. Um, Laura McCowan, I really like her work. She has um, a program called We Are the Luckiest and she does, uh, she's a blogger and stuff. And she she has a quote, like, she just basically says, I w I'm not afraid of myself anymore. And I exactly. think that's so powerful. You know, it's yes. like, yeah. we're so scared of what we don't know about ourselves, of what we've imagined about ourselves, or all the, yeah. you know, things we've told ourselves. And like, when we really open it up, and, and we're like, oh, oh, it's you. I remember you. We used to like yeah. each other when we were three years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or even at 11. Yes. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yes. Yeah, that is what always... Well, that's something I find a little bit difficult because now I've seen the light. I would like others to see the light as well. So I must be very careful not to try and convince everybody of my, you know, my new um, findings and my new way of living. Um, but when people say, oh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do what you are doing. I think to myself, yes, of course you could. And you'd be amazed how good it were for you. But then... You know, you can't change anybody's life. You have you can only change your own life, and uh, everybody else just needs to do what they do. And the only thing is, you know, sh um, shine your light on yourself and be an example of, of what's possible. But that's um, yeah, that's awesome. And I think that's that's exactly right. I think that you know, have faith that it will change. 
it is amazing how it will change. People, people you know, especially the people who are so, so, um, oh, you'll drink again for sure. How could you do it? I couldn't imagine it. Uh, they're so desperate for this. They just don't even know it yet. Like they're so desperate for a change and they're so desperate for a different way. And that's where their curiosity is coming from. And I think what you said about just, you know, shining your light and being you and just showing up and being authentic, people will, will really notice that. And I think it will take a few years, but I mean, it is incredible to me. Like the, the change and, and I don't feel like I can single-handedly take credit for it because I do feel like people are waking up to this. People are having their own epiphanies of just feeling uncomfortable with how much they're drinking. It feels gross yes. <laughs> to have drank so much. It feels gross to feel hungover. It feels gross to have alcohol coming out of your pores and be able to oh, yeah. smell it on your own body. Like it, it all feels gross. And so people are really waking up to that. Yeah. But I will I say so. that like among my friend group, like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's like night and day, the amount of alcohol that to drink. It's crazy. And so I feel that it really, really has changed. And again, I won't take like credit for it myself. I think it is, but I will just tell you to absolutely have faith because when I first started on this, I was like, I'm just out on this island by myself. I don't belong on the AA island. I don't belong on the drinking island. I've just created my own island. Here I am. It's yeah. just me. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I started to realize it wasn't just me. There's all sorts of other people. I just hadn't found them yet. And so I started yeah. connecting with like people online and whatnot. And then yes. really, but in real life, having the other people in real life is just the coolest. And then over and over, yeah. it's, it's incredible how many people you just, and like attracts like, so you do start to like the, the people that just out of the blue that I've like made friends with who are like, oh yeah, I don't drink anymore. That was totally okay, yeah. like, keeping me yes. back from what I wanted to do. It was, it's just yes. awesome. It totally yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard in Holland, uh, the millennials, well, maybe you're a millennial as well, or just, I don't know. <laughs> um, Not quite. I'm an Xennial. I'm in the middle of the X and the millennial. So. Okay. Well, the, the millennials are drinking much less than their parents that, that, that there have been research recently that uh, millennials are drinking much less. So that's yes. good news, I think. And my, my children are drinking much less than I did when I had their age. Yeah. yeah, one of the best things I heard, I read a study about that a few years ago, and it wasn't Holland specific, it was global, so it is happening everywhere, but it was basically this idea that like, oh, that was my parents' drug, you know, like, and they're, they're on social media all the time. So, yes. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, gosh, I can't imagine. Like, so Xennial, what... I don't know if that's even a real thing. I guess I'm probably more Generation X. I'm like right on the border, but there's like five years that they consider this Xennial. And in Xennial, you basically had a analog childhood and then a digital, like as soon as I was, I think I got my first email address at 18. So it was okay. like right there. So you were like the earliest adapters to the technology, but everything in childhood, we didn't have it. Um, so it is so we're kind of like there's interesting things about that group but one of the things that's so interesting is that then in my teenage years uh you know i remember when facebook came out like i'm, I'm pretty much the same age as mark zuckerberg i'm 40 years old and so like uh it was like he was in college when i was in college so it was happening when i was in college and then thank goodness i got out of college and got my act together before social media existed i mean really like you know and so i think it's really interesting how yes. um 
how that generation has to contend with if they're going to be passed out on the couch with people writing in marker on their face, that's going to be going viral, you know, in an hour from now. <laughs> so, exactly. Just, yes. Yeah. 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 Everybody's going to know it all, but that's so cool. Yeah. Well, thank you Never so much. This has just been a real pleasure. The pleasure was mine. Thank you. Awesome. And uh, well, I'll, I'll keep following your podcasts and uh, I, uh, well, I wish you very good, good luck with all your, your good work because I think you've changed the world for, for many people. Well, and, thank uh, you so much. Yeah, and you helped me change my life, that's for sure. Oh, it's so awesome. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. It's just beautiful. And thank you for my first uh, podcast with somebody in France. That's really fun. Okay, well, <laughs> so and even, not even by a French person. So. Yeah, not even. Very international. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, have a wonderful day, Marietta, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. You too. (laughs) Bye-bye. Let me ask you a question. What is better than change? (laughs) Lasting change, of course. And if you've had trouble making change stick, either with alcohol or in any other area of your life, you are in for a treat. I created the 100 Days of Lasting Change to ensure that we don't just change for a moment, but we truly transform for a lifetime. And this program is so close to my heart. Thousands of people have been through it and their results are incredible. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at thisnakedmind.com forward slash 100 days. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.